When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded just off Abbey Road in beautiful central London. This week, we're going to review the 1983 police classic, Synchronicity, which if you were a member of the MTV generation like we were, and we're 9, 10, 11 years old, maybe a little older in the summer of 83, the police's synchronicity was everywhere. And it was everything to young rock fans just starting to understand the genre and the importance of music in their lives. And that's me in action. And this week, we're going to talk about synchronicity, every breath you take, King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, the Synchronicity songs, and the police themselves, who had quite an interesting interpersonal relationship or relationships within the band that caused some infamous stress and caused them to break up for about a quarter of a century before finally getting back together to do the biggest tour of all time with absolutely no new music. Talking about Stuart Copeland on the drums, Andy Summers on guitar, and the legendary Sting, nay, Gordon Sumner, on the bass, vocals, and main songwriting responsibilities. So let's jump in here. It's going to be a fun one. Back down to 1983, reviewing Synchronicity by the Police on the Wolf. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So synchronicity, is that just like you can always go back to that and be like, hey, that's the first one I ever bought, grown-up album, an album I would still listen to today, you know, you can always go back and hear that one? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, and I was trying to I was trying to think of why, what attracted me to this at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I think it was, this was part of the holy triumvirate 
of albums. So you had this, you had Pyromania, and you had 1984. And I think it was one of those deals where I had friends that already had the other two. So I was like, well, I'll just get this one, and then we can all hang out and listen to these records. But going back through this now, Mm -hmm. let me put it this way. If you work the math out on a piece of paper, it doesn't work out. You had, as far as this being a big hit record, Mm -hmm. I mean, this was three dudes who, it sounded like there were two dudes who really weren't fond of each other anymore. Sting and Stuart Copeland, like it sounded like they wanted to kill each other. Literally fought each other. Yeah, Correct, like like fisticuffs. I think there. I was reading that they they recorded it in the air studios in Montserrat, and then went nice. to Quebec. And then at one point in time, like they were physically like fighting with each other, like fist fighting, grappling with each other. Where the, the producer was like, "I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore." So, and then the whole deal was that it, it's all like this real kind of out there Carl Jung and mm-hmm. you know Freudian stuff in the lyrics like it, this shouldn't have been a hit album when you put it all together like that but it was it sold like you know 20 million copies or whatever it did finally yeah i remember it vividly big part of course we talk a lot about how we we're the mtv generation and growing up in the 80s that was just kind of a big part of young adolescent and teenage life when they actually showed videos by people who played instruments and wrote their own music it, it's not really that anymore mtv has evolved it's evolved away from us, which is probably smart because the money's in with the teenagers, right? So you have to keep it keep it fresh to keep those teenage dollars flowing in, I suppose, those advertisers. But MTV back in the day was great. And this album was enormous thanks to MTV. Um, it was big on the FM radio, too. I remember Every Breath You Take was number one for eight weeks, which was a record. I mean, I don't know if it broke the record or if it tied the record, and I can't remember what it broke or tied with, but it was something pretty big time. And, and I remember I remember hoping that it would get, like, oh, it's been six weeks. I hope they get to seven and eight weeks. And it did. Um, so I And I remember the videos. Obviously, Every Breath You Take was huge. Wrapped Around Your Finger was big, big, big on MTV. And I feel like Synchronicity 2 was also. I didn't remember the King of Pain video as well. I just rewatched that getting ready for the show. And that was a little different one, really didn't feature the band too much except for in some still photos. It was kind of an artistic take on a music video rather than actually just telling the story or showing them play the song. Yeah, I don't really remember seeing that. I remember seeing the other three. Definitely Mm -hmm. Every Breath You Take, definitely Wrapped Around Your Finger, and then Synchronicity 2 kind of had that like... You know, it was artsy, like, you know, post-apocalyptic right. weirdness. And then but they yeah, had the kind of like the long cinematic cut of like, you know, flying over the lake, like in Scotland kind of thing, you know. Yes. It, 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 I remember it kind of pulling back uh, on that view. Yeah, I mean, right, that's right. But the the odd part to me is in, in going back and listening to this, like the, the lyrics really don't match anything in the songs like when you listen to every breath you take like if you listen to the lyrics you're like wow this is like a dude that's stalking people like this is not and it can, and, and even sting has said himself like people play this at weddings and it really probably shouldn't be if you really listen to it but i think i think what they did was they had these kind of like and same with king of pain it was like oh this is kind of depressing but if you listen to the music it really it doesn't go together but it works i don't i don't get it but it's it, it, the end product is fantastic and you can't have a bigger hit single than every breath you take i mean it doesn't no. really exist I think Sting got in war because it was played over 15 million times on the radio, making like one of the most played songs of all time. Like in 2003, he was making $2,000 a day just from every breath you take. Like that's it. It's it's worth like 
a third of his catalog or something like that. I'm like, wow, really? Because he's got a lot of other songs, both in the police and solo. And uh, that one alone is huge. I mean, Song of the Year, won Grammys, you know, one of the biggest five songs of the 80s. I mean, enormous. There was something too. What was at the beginning? It was like a, it was a cigarette or something in an ashtray. And so you knew when that came on, you're like, oh, this is it. That's right. Pay attention. Crank it up. Here we go. And the same with wrapped around your finger. Had the they lit the candle at the beginning, so you, you knew you had that like extra you know two or three seconds to to get the TV cranked up because you knew this was coming on. And didn't they have different versions of the videos too? I feel like there was a blue version and a red version. I don't know if I could ever really if I ever really saw all of them. Maybe it was just something they kind of advertised on MTV to keep you watching because they played one of them every hour on the hour for a while. <laughs> It could have been, and that could have been like a like a European thing too, because I think they do that a lot more in Europe. They have different versions to keep people, because they know in the United States we're just monkeys, and we'll watch the same thing over and over and over again. We pretty much are, yeah. Guilty. Yeah. But it, I, I I saw an interesting quote from, and this this was probably back in the day because it was from I want it says I I want my MTV, mm-hmm. but it was from Stuart Copeland. He was talking about the the wrapped around your finger video, and he said, and I quote. I never much liked the idea of wrapped around your finger. Now, I was kind of pissed off about the about that one. I had never been much of a fan of the song, actually. Sting got to shoot his part last and made a meal out of knocking over the candles and then expletive him. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that, and I remember that too, like he, he if you watch that, he's in it 90% of the time. There's like one shot of Copeland playing the drums. Mm-hmm. Andy Summers is dancing around with an acoustic guitar, which doesn't even show up in the track. Right. So, yeah, I think I think by that point in time, this had become basically the Sting show, and the other two guys were just players in it. And I don't, I think, again, I get the I get the feeling that Copeland was the guy who was, you know, nah, I don't like this, and Summers was the middle person saying, you know what, let's let's can we all just get along here and make this work? Yeah, Andy Summers was a lukewarm water, right? He, he's yeah. the Derek Smalls of the band, no doubt about it. Uh, and the, yeah, and the thing is, I kind of used to be in the Copeland camp a long time ago because it was like. You know, yeah, screw Sting. You know, you're that good looking and talented and rich. And yeah, I can't like you that much, right? So there's got to be something wrong with him. And I knew that Stuart Copeland was smart, but he's kind of a smart Alec, too. Sometimes he's too smart for his own good, it seems. You know, I know he felt maybe bad about because he kind of invented the police and then he started losing control when Sting came in and then he started losing more because Andy Summers is a lot older than they are. Andy Summers goes back to the 60s. He's like a contemporary of Eric Clapton's and Jimmy Page's. He was in The New Animals with Eric Burden, you know, way back when. Um, so yeah, he, I think, he's, I think he's a good, like, 10 years older than those guys, especially Copeland. Maybe not Sting, but I think he's, like, Sting's early 50s. I think Copeland's, like, 53, and I think Summers is, like, 42 or something like that. Yeah, he's he's kind of the, the Mick Mars of the band where it's, you know, I, I think, and I probably think, too, he's he was a guy who said, I've got a really good thing here. I don't want to see this get screwed up. And mm-hmm. it was... And it, and Copeland was the spoiled child, but I guess that's an interesting thing too because when they started, they were on what was that IRS Records, right? And IRS Records was his brother Miles Copeland's deal. So I think you're right, he, you know. And then as that, you know, then they went to A and M, and that that kind of got, you know, the, the, his stroke in the band got more and more pushed 
back and away. And obviously Sting was going to be the big heartthrob and, you know, musical genius. Well, yeah, I mean, driving force, no doubt. But Miles Copeland did continue to manage them. I think he, yes, he owned and, and managed IRS, but he managed the band as well and kind of managed them until the end. And that probably wore on Sting, too, because now he's got, you know, the snot-nosed brother that he's got to deal with every day. And then he's got the older brother who's, you know, taking 10% or whatever it is, guiding his career. He's like, this is untenable. This is not going to last forever, right? And apparently there were stories, too, about how Stuart Copeland would, during a live performance, say to himself, eh, I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go somewhere else with this one. I think I'm going to wander off into the woods. And, you know, then you had the two of them turn around and like, what are you doing right now? Play the song the way it, eh, it's freeform jazz exploration time <laughs> right. on a live show. Here we go. And it's like, okay. But really when I listen to this, like especially starting off the first track, Synchronicity One, which I don't think gets enough credit because it's a good song. He is on point on this record. Copeland is just hammering these things and definitely adding the, the drum is its own animal on this record. And they had gone pretty reggae, I feel like, in, in their previous three or four records, or at least they, they've definitely seen those influences in there. Not as much on this one. Uh, this is a little different percussively, if that's a word. Yeah, I, I agree. It's And, and he, is, he is quite good, and it was part of the push and pull of all of them being at each other's throats that kind of got the best out of them. And apparently they didn't even record it together. Hugh Padgham, who, who worked with Dire Straits and I think still works with Mark Knopfler down at Grove End Studio here in by the river in London, great producer. You know, he had Stuart in the dining room, I guess, set up there. And then Sting could come in the control room or had his own little spot. And then Andy was, was in the other room. And they did not record together. They did their parts all separately so they wouldn't kill each other. And when they mixed or they did overdubs or whatever. It was one at a time in the studio. You didn't uh, you didn't cross paths. So that's that's pretty rough. But then you they really did kind of shoot up pretty quickly. It's like they got together. I don't know. Was it seventy six or seventy seven? They had their first single fallout, and then it's Outlandos Demore in seventy eight, Regatta de Blanc in seventy nine, Zenyatta Mondada in eighty, Ghost in the Machine eighty one, touring on all those albums. And then they put together what is an incredible album, and the album, the guest broke the band up, but also vaulted them to super-duper-uber stardom, too. Uh, and then they had to tour on it pretty hard. So it's ten pretty intense years there for the police. Yeah, with, with, three, yeah, with three guys who, well, two guys who really weren't going to be second fiddle to anybody else. And you can actually see that. Like, what's the one? I think it's Every Little Thing She Does. Mm-hmm. Where at the end they're sitting in a control room, like a, on a like a big board, and you see Copeland is just messing with the he's just messing with the dials, and Sting will you know he'll slap his hand away, or mm-hmm. you know, and then there's the, the don't stand so close to me, where he's he's doing something to Sting, like he's putting the tennis racket into his face or something. Like he's always that like annoying, like e- 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 e. look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm never gonna you, right. know, you know, I'm never gonna be second fiddle to you. I'll always be this annoying little kid. And he apparently still is. Um, yes. And, and Sting went on to become pretty big without the police. And Stuart Copeland continued to work and, and do some interesting things, but uh, obviously not the household name. But I, I, and, I remember them in a video, in an interview. I think it was, well, it's been shown on MTV. I don't know if it was for MTV or not. The three of them are basically sitting around a picnic table or a circular one, having lunch, having an interview, right? And then, and 
Sting and Andy, I'm sorry, and Sting and Stewart are apart. Andy's in the middle. And they're kind of talking about, yeah, there's some, we hear you're having some rough patches, or we hear there's a little fighting or whatever. And Sting, they're very upfront about it. Sting says something, and then Stewart says, oh, is that what you want to see? Video of me whooping Sting? And so Sting takes his drink and tosses it at him. Yeah. And so then, of course, he crosses right over Andy, and they go off and fight. And then Andy's just kind of like sitting there shaking his head like he's the older cousin who has to look after his little cousins, you know? He's like, God, I mean, I've worked so hard, and this is what I get, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I mean, the same for Summers. I mean, he he went on to do other things but never as big as, as that. And I think he probably always knew that. He always knew that this this was it, and as long as we can make this last, that's going to be fantastic. But I think, if I understand correctly, even by this time, Sting had already made up his mind, like, this was it. That This was going to be the last deal. He was going to do his own thing. And I don't think he let Summers and Copeland know that. And so I think they were always upset that maybe not that the band ended, but that they never got to say, hey, officially this is it. You know, we're making this decision together. Right. We're all, it's kind of like they, you know, it's like you get that letter from the lawyer or whatever saying, wait, what now? Or you see it on MTV, Sting, brand new solo record. Uh, what now is this? <laughs> okay. Uh, and The Dream of the Blue Turtles is a great record, man. Great follow-up to Synchronicity, really. That, for the, for, especially for Copeland, that had to be like, oh, uh, okay, well, uh, he won't. Yeah, okay, okay, go ahead and make your own record. I don't care, whatever. Oh, boy, this is really good. Oh, this is really popular and not uh, at all sounding like the police i mean he used a lot of different musicians and different kinds of musicians and you know had some great backing vocals by some talented women and you know yeah i mean he'd be stretched out a little bit but he was also a darling of the silver screen of course at that point because he had done dune and uh the bride bride of oh movie? the frankenstein, the frankenstein deal, yeah. movie yeah. with the girl from Flashdance. neither of which were enormous hits but you know he had looks for hollywood i thought he was great and the guy richie lockstock and two smoking barrels. He's good role for him right there. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And, and you know, he was all over the Save the Rainforest. So, yeah, he, he definitely, he you know, I think it was one of those, it was like the, the rocket ship going up mm-hmm. and it's, you know, the, the pieces fall off. He definitely, he didn't need, he didn't need the police anymore. He was his own animal at that point in time and, and could sell himself as such. And then the thing is, the, the beauty part for him is, you put that band together with all those, you know, the Nathan East and the David Sanborns, the you know, mm-hmm. top of the top hired guns, and you get to play the police stuff too. So, yeah. yay. Pretty for me. great. Did I tell you about the time I, I was in the third row in the middle for Eric Clapton on the Journeyman tour, and Nathan East was his bassist? And we, you know, we made eye contact a couple times. And when, when they sing cocaine, when they do the chorus, it goes cocaine. He would put up his one, he would pull his hand off the bass, pull up his number one finger, but cocaine. And he looked at me and did that a few times. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm 16 years old. I'm really not that interested, but that's a pretty cool moment. <laughs> yeah. Are you trying to? Yeah. You know, Trying to convince me, me to do something I shouldn't yeah. do. Not my scene, but a great song uh, and a great bass player, no doubt about it. Um, foreplay is kind of a smooth jazz thing that that he's the founder of and one of the, is, has done that for a long time. Has also toured again with Clapton. He toured with Toto for a while. He's a he's a great bass player. Yeah, I think he's like you know if you think oh I need I need a I've got the money to spend and I need a bass player. Yeah, he is top of the list. They're like oh is he can we get him? Definitely do that then. Yeah. And the same with Sanborn too. He's he's a oh goodness, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But same thing, like top of the top of the list on there. So he definitely broke out the checkbook for that record, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey there, before we get into the Synchronicity song list, why don't you reach out to us? We're at ugly underscore werewolf on Twitter, or check out our past episodes, www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Well, you know, let's let's talk about Synchronicity, because it seemed like their first record, Sting, wrote most of them. The other guys contribute a little. The next two records, Summers and Copeland got more on. And I can see Copeland being pushy and being a jerk and saying, you got to put my song on. I'm looking at most of his songs, and they're really not that good. And Sting's songs are like all the singles. Like, all your hits are Sting songs. I'm like, wouldn't that give you a clue? Like, I know you... Fancy yourself a songwriter, and you are a contributor, and you would love to get some of that publishing money, get two songs on a 10-song record, and, well, you get 20% of the publishing, right? So that wouldn't be so bad, but your songs are just not good. And then the, the last two albums, Ghost in the Machine and Synchronicity, were mostly Sting, I think, um, from what I understand. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, the, the only, on Synchronicity, the only two songs that he does not write, they've got Mother, which is... That's a strange deal a that Summers wrote himself. Mrs. Song. Gradenko, or Miss Gradenko, yeah. that was Stuart Copeland. And then there was the bonus track that was not on the original album, Murder by Numbers, which is a, that's another good song where if you listen to the lyrics, you're like, wait a minute, it's a cool song, but you're talking about like how to kill people. <laughs> All righty. That was, that was Sting and Summers. So yeah, the, he, he, that's the thing. Like you said, you're, I know you're writing songs. Thank you. But we need hit songs. We need songs that will get 8 million, you know, plays at a time. And this is not them. Right. Like Don Felder, I know you want to sing a song and I know you wrote Victim of Love, but if we let Don Henley sing it, it'll be a hit. So just go play your guitar and let Don sing the song. Yeah. All right. Let me do what I do. You sit back there and play the drums, and you get one-third of touring revenue. It's better than being, you know, in a band that has five or six people in it, and you get this smaller percentage. You get one-third of that. Let him write the songs. He knows what he's doing, obviously. And I think they actually fought over every breath you take, which is bizarre. And, and yeah, he just like he was kind of putting down the video for Wrapped Around Your Finger, he was putting down the song. He's like, great song by String Sting, but just a terrible arrangement by us. He could have done that with anybody else and it would have been better. And I'm like, why are you going to be so negative? Why are you going to be up in everybody's face? People love the song. And yes, it's about possession and all that. It was about... He was married to an actress whose best friend was a woman named Trudy Styler, who happened to live next door. Married uh, to someone else, too. And there's Sting looking over the fence, I suppose, at Trudy all this time. Of course, now, meant to be, you could say. They've been together 40 years, had kids, yeah. all that stuff. But still, a lot of people thought it was pretty inappropriate. You know, and this is back in the early 80s when uh, they expected people to behave a certain way. Not like now it's kind of a free-for-all. <laughs> You can do whatever you want, really. But, uh, but I mean, when you think about it, so the original record had 10 tracks on it. And of the 10 tracks, four of them were hit singles. That's insane. I know, and plus Synchronicity it. 1, like you said, it maybe wasn't a hit single. But that's a good song, you know. It was Correct. a hit, hit single kind of a song. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, Jackson. I had the cassette. I didn't have the LP. I had the cassette. Okay. The cassette did have Murder by Numbers on it. It was a bonus track. I didn't know that. At, at the time I and, and, you know, because the thing is I mean I'm like albums are cool and stuff like that but you know we've got a tape deck in the car if I get the cassette I can listen to it in the car you know and then I had a series of Walkmen over the years right it's like if I, I can listen to this on the go you had your buddy Pete on the playground with the one speaker boombox I got a boombox for my 10th birthday you can't play LPs on a boombox uh, but you can play your tapes you know so I'm like yeah I, 
I get tapes. It was the fifth tape I ever got. I remember I used to keep them in order of the of how I got them, not like in alphabetical order or genre or anything. I used to keep them in order, and it was number five. Yeah, so I listened to it back and forth, and I uh, so I didn't know it was a bonus track. I didn't know they had bonus tracks as early as back then. CDs, it was released on CD and had the bonus track, but in 1983, CD was not a major way that people consume music. It was still mainly LPs and cassettes. Yeah, the back, I, I don't even know if they were around, but the, the, the original, original CDs, yeah, they were ridiculously expensive, too. So if, you know, you're, you're Consent was 15 bucks the CD was like 50 and again I don't know anybody that has a CD player so right. I think I'm just going to go ahead and do this but yeah I got I think I got this on, on an album because that's the only thing that I had I had an old record player or a hi-fi that my grandfather would give me or something I think it might have had an 8 track on it and I was like no nah, I'm not getting I don't even know if they had 8 tracks in 83 so right. it was record and that was it nice nice but yeah but and so and when you consume your music that way in a cassette and especially on a Walkman, then you find your favorite songs and you kind of want to listen to them over and over again. And for the most part, I would listen to the second side, which is it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's odd in some ways just because most people, most bands put all their big hits if they can, if they can identify them. They put them on the first side, right? They put them on side A. They might save something for the second side because they want people to, to flip the LP or, or flip the tape over. But the second side of the tape was Every Breath You Take, biggest single ever. Then King of Pain, like you said, a great song, a little dark in moments, but it's it's a nice moody song. It's not real fast. It's kind of chill. Then Wrapped Around Your Finger, a beautiful, mellow, yet kind of tantric rhythm to it. I don't know. There's something underlying there that's amazing. Then Tea in the Sahara, which is a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, and was actually used uh, well in a classic episode of Miami Vice, starring a young Ving Rhames, when a group of teenagers took over a hotel, a group of young militants, um, and Rico had to bust in there. And then, yeah, Murder by Number, so I could kind of listen to the whole second side. But I could also listen to Every Breath You Take, then flip it over, listen to Synchronicity 2 to the end of the tape, right. and then flip it again, and, and I can right listen back. to Every Breath You Take, right? <laughs> Because I was not going to listen to, and of course, just to round it out, so side one is Synchronicity 1, Walking in Your Footsteps, then Oh My God, then the Andy Summers tune Mother, which is just, it's its horrible. It's, it's so unlistenable. I get the concept. I understand the lyrics, but the music is just, and the singing is just odd. Well, now, and, and just real quick on that one, like, first of all, that's the ode to Norman Bates, I believe. <laughs> um, I think I think Summer's mother was very overbearing by his own admission. But I, I did a little research on this because I listened to it a couple times for this deal, and it's credited as everybody. But when I listened to it, it really sounds like he might have done all of it himself mm. because the, the drumming doesn't sound like Copeland. It's it's just this weird. It really sounds like this weird standalone project. I don't know how it made it on the on the record. I don't know whether they wanted something from him or it doesn't really go with anything. It's very yeah. It's very it's art for art's sake. It's very strange. Yeah, and it's it's three minutes, so it's kind of a short one. Now, in fairness, he did win a Grammy for "Behind My Camel," which uh, is an odd kind of song. It's an instrumental on Zenyatta Mandata, um, another cassette that I had and that I wore out. I, I listened to that as a high schooler a lot more than I listened to Synchronicity. And, and so maybe it's like, all right, look, everybody's got to get at least one song on the record, right? But then, yeah, Miss Grudenko, it's not a terrible song. It's two minutes. It's two minutes long. I would have taken out Mother and Miss Gradenko and replaced it with Murder by Numbers. 
And then you could put those other two as your bonus tracks, if you will. But, you know, hey, the politics played out the way they did. Copeland had always pushed to get more of his songs on, probably than he should have. Um, yeah, and, and you're right. Like, there's the, like, like the mother is that. That's weird for weird's sake. That's avant garde. But yeah, the, unfortunately for Miss Gradenko, it's yeah, it's just nothing. I mean, it's it's not great. It's not bad. It's just. Eh, it's like what, uh, what? Yeah, was that necessary? Did you need yeah, to fill the time yeah. that badly? But but maybe that's what it was. You you know one of my wangs you know kicking and screaming on the floor saying one of my songs has to be on there. Okay, buddy, here we go. Let's mm-hmm. pick this one. Now you're okay. Now Let's you're keep okay going. But yeah, that is that is pretty cool because that is it is odd that the yeah the second side of this thing really is the powerhouse and you have you're right. TMZR, it's not a. I don't think I ever made it on the radio. But it is kind of a cool, mellow deal. And then Murder by Numbers is just, it's just nasty. Like if you listen, <laughs> it's, it doesn't, again, it doesn't really go. It's got that cool sax part in there. And it's like, wait a minute, put some, something in somebody's drink. Hey, what's going on here? Right. And they made a whole Sandra Bullock movie out of it too, you know? I mean, that's that's how big you could be. You could be a B-side or a bonus track. Because it was the B-side to every breath you take. Um, yeah. But Obviously, was the was the bonus track on the cassette and CD. So yeah, his influence is great. Of course, I think Sting was later nominated for an Academy Award. Did he win one? I don't think he won it. But he I don't. Yeah, I don't know if he won it either. But yeah, definitely up for the award. And you know, this is they're saying this this is one of the one thousand one albums you must hear before you die. I can't imagine there are that many people that listen to this kind of music that haven't heard this up, down, back, and forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, e- either you had it or you knew somebody that had it. It's not. There's nobody on the face here that's like synchronous. I've never heard of that record. Of course you have. <laughs> right. You may be missing. You know, one of the ones in the middle. Although actually, that that brings up a good point because. I, well, like you and pretty much everybody else, we basically started at the end and then worked our way backwards with the police. Like you, like, you know, wait, they have other records. Well, let me check that out. Right. So yeah, it, it, I think, I think the rest of the albums didn't get enough credit because this thing was such a monster. Yeah. And I think I picked up Zenyatta Mandato because like, okay, I like the police. I want to get another one. Yeah. Um, let's pick one with, you know, some hits that I know, but I want to explore the other songs, the deep tracks as well. And I don't know why I picked it, um, but I, and I, it may have been part of like the record club or something like that. I have to get five cassettes up front and then I have to buy a couple more in the next year or something like that or maybe it was all right i've got my six dollars here all right i can buy a cassette which one am i gonna do i gotta do some research here or eight dollars i think it was if it was a new hit you might be able to get it for six at target but if it was just kind of sitting in the bins for a while whoa that's eight dollars so pays to be in the know up on the newest stuff gary because you can say right that way (laughs) if you take nothing else away from this that's what you should say but yeah and then i always kind of held on to this for a while like you know oh the other records aren't as good as synchronicity they really are. They're they're different, mm-hmm. but they're but I think I think they're excellent also. But they, this one will always have a special place in my heart because you could not could not get away from it in 1983. And it was more in '85, pretty much. But with, by the time this thing dropped, until Dream of the Blue Turtles came out, like there wasn't really a gap. I don't think for Sting anyway. No, and they released in '86, I believe. It was Every Breath You Take the singles. Including oh, right. the reworked version of "Don't Stand So Close to Me," which I don't, I don't know that. if anybody liked that a whole lot. No, no unnecessary. Stop that. I mean, it was you know we were desperate for something new. It had been three years. We thought, is Sting leaving? Is he not? We don't know. And it was cool to get all the great songs. It was the greatest hits. I remember getting it for Christmas. It was the greatest hits cassette 
Still have it. I, I was a little bummed that they didn't have the old version of Don't Stand So Close to Me. I'm like, you want to do a new one? That's great. But can we also have the good one? But uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out that way, unfortunately. But no, it was, it was great to have all their greatest hits you know together in one if i'm not mistaken it was like two off the first three albums and three off the last two uh, songs that is yeah that sounds about right and and it was yeah it was a good and that was back in the day when either you had a ton of money to buy everything or you had to pick your shots with the greatest hits and and be happy with that mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's always that's the million dollar question for all those greatest oh how come you didn't put this on there well because how much do you want to pay for this you don't want to pay for a double cassette or double album or whatever so just because Yeah, now these days, it's like, no, I don't want the greatest hits, you know, I mean, unless you've got all the deep tracks and all the B-sides and all that stuff, I'll buy a three-disc greatest hits, I'm not going to buy the one-disc, but yeah, back then, you're a kid, you only got so much budget, I can only ask, can't say... Mom, I want you to give me all the police records for Christmas. You know, it's just say, give me the greatest hits and then I can listen to those songs whenever I want. Yeah, it just, it, I don't know. Like I said, on paper, this should not have worked out. But it, it, just thinking about this more and more, like you said at the beginning, you know, why, do you, why did you want to talk about this record? Because it was the first record I ever got and it just struck me. But just to have this thing be this big was a, I think it was a giant leap for the music industry even. All of these records that were kind of coming out now, like Thriller, and this and this one and 1984 and Pyromania that we talked about last mm-hmm. time. Like now, now we're talking. These guys are on multi-year world tours. Like you're touring in Japan and all over the place. And it just the, the scope of this thing ratcheted it up from the. I, I know they there were big bands in the 70s. I get that that had tours, but this was just something people hadn't seen. Yeah, before. and their reunion tour back in what was 2007 2008 was enormous. At the time, the biggest tour ever. And yeah, I actually caught it three times. I caught it once in Oakland, where like the A's and the Raiders played, Alameda County Stadium, which is just enormous. And I was on the field too. So it was vast to see this enormous, to be on the field with, because it's a huge, huge place. One of those old dual things they made back in like the 70s, massive thing. And then I saw them in the Pepsi Center. It was funny because I won like, I won the chance to do like a quote unquote VIP experience. Not VIP to go back and meet the band, but to like to get to the show, you get a laminate, you get to come to a section and have, you know, nice food. You get walked down to your seats and stuff like that. So that was kind of funny. But I went with some friends and we moved to She-Wolf to that. And then they actually played Churchill Downs, which hasn't hosted too many concerts. Obviously, they host the Kentucky Derby and they put 150, 180,000 people in it for that. But that's around the track. You know, I saw the Stones on the Licks tour there. And then, yeah, I saw the police with a, a couple of buddies. Basically the same show. The stage was huge and incredible. It was fun. And like you said, the the biggest tour of the time with zero new music. Zero new it music. Did, and you only have to split did, it three ways. Right, right. But it, to, the, to think there was that much of a call for it. I mean, from 83 to 2007, having, other than that greatest hits record in 86, nothing from the police. And yet you can still sell out. It, it's a testament to how, how not only how big they were, but how you really left people wanting more in 83, leaving from that time. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I really liked was when they played Wrapped Around Your Finger on that. They might have done it on the 83 tour. I did not see that. Right. But Copeland had this massive rig set up behind the drum kit where he had bells and gongs and everything back there. And he really did a cool rendition of the, of the intro part to it. Or the, the kind of the main part where it's like you were thinking to yourself, like, how how did they do that? How could they do that live? Well, that's how they did it live. And then when he comes, you know, devil in the deep blue seat behind me, he's 
moving down to the drum kit and then pop, he hits the, the, yeah, that's really cool. And it just shows you that, you know, he is, even though he is the quote, you know, he's the drummer back there. He's just as much of a showman as anybody else. And then the other one they did, uh, Message in a Bottle, mm-hmm. where they he, opened he, with that. Yeah, he's he's hammering on the gong, blah, 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 blah. and then Summers comes walking out, and he just gives him the double point, and then he goes into the riff, and yeah, definitely a cool show. It was cool, and but I, uh, again, once again, Stuart the Malcontent. I remember him blogging or talking about it. We are the mighty police, and we are careening, you know, off the road or whatever. Like they, they, there have been technical issues. I remember in the Pepsi Center in Denver. The first three or four songs didn't quite sound right. Some, you know, the mix was off. Something was wrong. They eventually fixed it. But he was complaining about that. I'm like, good Lord, man. You finally got what you wanted. You finally got the golden goose to come back to his old nest and impart, you know, with his talent, the ability for you to be wildly rich. Now, he probably did just fine back in the day with the police. The police catalogs still do okay. Andy and Stewart don't get publishing rights on every breath you take. So they don't live quite like Sting does off that. So having a tour where you make eight or nine figures is an awfully big deal to them. It's a much bigger deal to them than it is to Sting. So just try to be happy, would you? But I think it's it's one of those things where it, it, maybe it's you meet up with a, an ex-love or someone, and you say, now why did we, we had so many good times, why did we break it? Oh, now I remember. Right. Now I remember why this didn't work out the first time. Yeah, it, like you said, you'd think somebody who was had had that time of not making as much money, not being as big of a star, to go on this giant tour, nah, I'm still going to complain about it. Right. And I saw a, a clip of him, because he always had that camera with him back right. in the day, he was always recording. He had it, this was on the Synchronicity Tour, and he had it set up, kind of, so it was recording, like, kind of the back of his head and then the stage, mm-hmm. so you were seeing what he saw, and he's he's drumming in the middle of a song, and he's talking to the camera. <laughs> right. Hey, how you doing? We're here in, you know, Australia or whatever, and great tour so far, you know, but, and he did. You know, like he's not missing a beat, and then he just says, "Hang on a minute," and does a roll and comes back, and he's like, "Yeah, now Sting's gonna do his little his little twirl," and sure enough, he does the you know does the thing, and just yeah, I, I, I the guy who just a malcontent. I think a guy who whatever he got, he was like, "Well, but mm, what about this?" But at least they got together and did it, and at least another generation of people got to say, "I saw them play." They were, I, I, I mean, you said the mix was off a little bit, but other than that, like nobody had lost a beat as far as being a musician. They were all top notch, still had it. Absolutely. Yeah. And all three shows were great, you know, because they're kind of different venues. One's in like a baseball stadium, one's in like a, or a football stadium, one's in, in an arena, you know, like a basketball arena. The other was at a racetrack. So it's, it's kind of a neat way to see them all. And, you know, the stage huge, the lights are great. The whole walking your footsteps where they had the dinosaur, the brontosaurus kind of moving behind them. Yeah. That was kind of neat. But yeah, I mean, and Everyone Stares is a, a movie that Stewart produced, kind of pieced together for most of all his home movies and some other stuff too. But he obviously took a lot of home movies. And I think even Andy Summers eventually made a movie while they were on tour and it came out. It was it was good. But yeah, I mean, including their kids finally got to see them as big rock stars, right? In the police, you know, jetting around the world. I mean, Stig's kids are probably used to it, but to see, you know, for the, the Copeland and Summers kids, you know, to see, all right, well, look here, here's our dads. See, I told you, I told you I was cool one time. <laughs> right, back in the spotlight. <laughs>
that was probably pretty great, you know. But I remember them on VH1. They used to do those behind the musics. And it was, I just remember the one, that, you know, both Andy and Stuart were basically on there lobbying for one more tour. And Stuart's like, look, we'll never make another record. Can't do that. We'll kill each other. That doesn't work. But what we can do, and what we will do, and this was probably 1997 or something, is tour. Ten years later, it, it got to him. And Andy's like, we never got to say goodbye to the fans. We never got to, I never got that one more fat paycheck, right? <laughs> you know, basically what they were kind of both lobbying for. And Sting's like, yeah, well, you never know. And then basically as soon as Sting's like, you know what, that's something I'm ready to do. Let's do it. It happened. And it happened right. in a big way. They did so many I think they did three legs of America, went to Europe a couple times, Japan, Australia, Far East, I mean, South America, hundreds of shows, I think. Um, yeah. But, I mean, also hundreds of millions of dollars, over half a billion dollars from that tour. Unbelievable. But I think I think everybody knew that that was, don't ask for anything else. This is going to be it. This can't, we, this can't happen again. You know, everybody's getting older Again, no more new music. So you don't want it. That's that's the way that you want it to go out. You wanted to have this deal where it was, you know, sold out every night, a zillion shows. You don't want to do that. Well, let's do it one more time. Oh, well, we already saw you once, so forget it. So yeah, that was it. It'll never happen again. Although watching that, because I've watched a, a couple of those uh, videos from that, there's there's a, somebody recorded a pretty good copy of it from a Japanese show, mm -hmm. and I don't think Andy Summers gets enough credit for being a guitarist because he's his stuff is pretty intricate when you watch him play it. Like he's jumping all in like, hey, wait a minute. He wasn't Eddie Van Halen, I get it, but his stuff was not easy to play. No, it was hard. I, as someone who's dabbled with guitars, like, oh, I like police songs. Why don't I try some of that? It's, it, it is intricate. You, you're both right-handed brilliant and left-handed brilliant to play that stuff. Um, you're right. And he is a seasoned musician. But yeah, at this point, Andy Touring doesn't make any sense. Would you say 42? He's, he's nearly 80 years old. Now, I was supposed to see Sting last year. I thought it would be a good date night for me in the She-Wolf, right? And I can go see Deep Purple and Iron Maiden and Steve Hackett, you know, on my own. But, you know, sometimes you want to go uh, you know, to bring your woman to a show, right? You want to go out on a date one night. Correct. Right? Treat her nice. So you go see Sting. It's like, okay. And it, it wasn't in, a, in the O2 or something. It was in like a 2500 seater or something like that, like a, a nice theater. So I was, I was looking forward to it. Of course, it, like all the other shows, was postponed. And I believe it was postponed until September of this year, which means there's a slight possibility that it could happen. They're, they're talking about having everyone vaccinated by then, and, or most everyone. And if you can get one and they can prove it with some kind of ID or passport stamp or something like that, then you should maybe, in theory, be able to go to shows again. Yeah, there was, a, there was something here saying that in the United States that apparently maybe Live Nation is going to require that. Like they're going to start to do live shows, but don't bother showing up even with a ticket without a vaccination certificate. Mm -hmm. So that would be kind of a cool way to get things moving along and get, yeah, get these shows back again. When Genesis just came out, I think in the last week, the last Domino tour was going to be the first tour in, in 13 years. Now it's the first tour in, in 14 years. We were supposed to see them in London in November and then it got pushed to April. And, and with me thinking, why did they just push it to one year, you know, November a year later? Because that just gives you a little bit more time. But they pushed it to April. Then, of course, now, like, okay, it's not going to be in April. 
but it is going to be in September. Like, okay, so what they're feeling now is because there is, there are, there are several different um, vaccines and there will continue to be more produced. I mean, they figure they can get everybody done by the end of the summer, really an attempt to make sure kids can all go back to school full time, uh, I think. Um, but it would obviously help other parts of the economy and the world as well. And yeah, if we can do live concerts again in September, I'm ready, man. I'll I'll get my vaccine by hook or by crook. Well, hopefully over there, they'll be a little more uh, organized in the rollout. Here in the United States, it is a free-for-all at this point in time. <laughs> now, I'm going to switch gears here a minute because I, this something is is occurring to me that I wanted to talk about real quick, and mm-hmm. that's Stuart Copeland and what he was doing on the drums mm-hmm. because I was listening intently to Synchronicity and he for years, for years denied ever, ever, ever overdubbing mm-hmm. the drums. And then he recently said, yeah, I, you know, or at some point in time he came out and said, yeah, I overdubbed. There are a couple of times where I could hear like, you've only got two hands and two feet. You right. can't hit that many notes at one time. It works. It's just layer upon layer. But I, I, I just remember hearing it. In this on this record, saying yeah, that that's it right there. There's no way you can't you can't be playing the snare and the toms and the bass drum at the same time. I'm sorry. Yeah, listen to action the audio See, file calling him out. Don't mess with me. I can tell what you're doing, and I don't I don't have a problem with overdubbing. I just have a problem where it's like, okay, now we're. I mean, if you've got two guitars and you've only got one guitarist, why not have twelve? Why not have twenty five? <laughs> But see, that's why I wanted to do the podcast, because Jackson, you've got insight that not everyone else has. You and I together can hear things that I know other people can. So that's that's what? that's why we get to continue to do this, man, because we yeah. never run out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> Well, that's it for the 1983 classic synchronicity by the police, folks. I hope you enjoyed this little trip down memory lane, which for the MTV generation is one you could never forget. Summer of 83. The police are on the radio all the time, and they're all over MTV. With every breath you take, wrapped around your finger, King of Pain, Synchronicity 2. An amazing album that holds a special place in our hearts, especially for our colleague Action Jackson. Hey, tell me something. What records do you and your friends like to reminisce and talk about when you get together? Which ones haven't you heard in a long time? Which ones did you wear out on the tape or on the LP back in the day, but you haven't heard from a while and and, and maybe would like to hear a little bit about? Why don't you let us know? You can reach out to us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or check out all of our past episodes www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn L-I-B-S-Y-N.com Otherwise, who knows what we might be talking about next week, but you know that we'll be back. So for me, Mac B, The Wolf, and Action Jackson, have a great week, be cool, and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 